0: We're going to read down to the very end of the chapter, and then we'll try to garner some thoughts from it. Let's read. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of god because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity but this is not but that is not the way you learn christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in jesus And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. May God bless the reading of His Word. Last week, we took a look at the first half of chapter four, and, and really in that context, uh, we're looking at to cultivating, maintaining unity among the body. Of course, all of that built up on the first three chapters that we have worked through. And today, really Paul, the Apostle Paul is carrying on that theme, but is going a little deeper now and he's saying we're to cultivate holiness. And so really that's kind of the, the focus is cultivating holiness. And he uses the language, as we've seen, as I read, the language of putting off old clothes and putting on new clothes. As you can tell, I am not a fashion designer. or And Lynn tries really hard to, to help me take that next step. And so if there's anything I wear that's actually kind of good, that's because of her... But it all started when I was uh, back in college. At least that's when it came to my realization how horrid of a dresser I was. I went to Liberty down in the States many, many years ago, and my friends started reading the, um, the instruction manual. Liberty was a, a Christian liberal arts school that had um, a strange dress code that I wasn't accustomed to things you had to wear ties to class and I didn't even know how to tie a tie let alone owned one so my dad actually tied one before I left and I kept it tied and that's how I made it through school as I read their instruction manual it said that we needed to be in dress code when we showed up from the airport and so I took that literally and I I was in dress code I arrived and realized nobody else was and about three weeks into my time there, the the outfit I was wearing when I showed up on campus, a new friend, a good friend, became a very good friend, as you can tell. He uh, sat me down at breakfast and said, Elroy, you can't wear that. <laughs> Let me give you a clue on how to dress. And... Try to vision this. This is back in the 80s, okay? So this is a while ago. I had these blue and white pants, that, like blue and white pinstripes. Very narrow. They were pretty classy, I thought. I had this short sleeve shirt because it was hot with these big, broad, bold, blue stripes going this way and these thin stripes going this way on my pants. And I found a blue tie out of my closet, the one Dad tied for me, and there was... Big blue stripes going like this. And I thought I was like, it was all blue, right? So it's all matches. And he clued me in. He says, All right. And he, from there on, began to dress me every, every day. And I was very thankful for that. In essence, the Apostle Paul's giving us a, a lesson on what we ought to wear. and we would be wise to listen to him. Obviously, I can't even fix these things. I'll just hold this so it doesn't fall, okay? Putting on and putting off. Let's dive into his text and say, look at what we ought to wear. Apostle Paul, I think, follows a progression or breaks it down. Verses uh, 17 to, what is it, about 20? 17 through 19. Apostle Paul is going to stop and pause and say, this is who you were. This is what you used to wear. And then in verses 19 to 24, he's going to say, this is who you are. And this is what you now wear. And then in verses 25 and following, and he's going to keep the the conversation going as he goes into chapter 6. But he now begins to say, Now, therefore, because of this, this is who you are to become. Become who you are. So, this is who you were. This is who you are. Now, become who you are. Following? Let's take a look at Paul's politically correct statements in verses 17. You probably, as we were reading it, thinking about that. He says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Could you imagine somebody coming to you and saying, this is who you are? These are harsh words, are they not? But it's in Scripture. And I believe we need to hear it. It's in God's word we need to hear these things. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. The Apostle Paul says, I think he's, he's actually addressing them and saying, you know what, this is, in, in, in some ways, this is how you actually have walked. This is who you once were, but in some ways you are actually living this way, and you need to stop living this way. Let's, let's unpack it a little bit. Remember in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The Spirit is, that, is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He says, Once you walked in a certain way, you were following the world standard, and you were following the devil. Both of them going in the wrong direction. But that's who you were. Now, Paul, in verse 3 of chapter 2, says, quite frankly, even us Jews who were religious are in the same boat. Because he says in verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind. Is he, is he following? So Paul is speaking about the Gentiles in this manner, but earlier he's also plumped himself in that boat. You've got the pagans and you've got the religious, and both of them are guilty. And now Paul, speaking to the Ephesian church, he says, don't walk any longer the way you once walked. And how did they walk? In the futility of their minds. How did they once walk? Darkened in their understanding. You remember how Paul has been praying for the church? Chapter 3. Paul in chapter 3 prays for these people and says, May they have the strength to comprehend mind, right? Comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. He's he's praying, he's praying that they would comprehend who God is and what God has done that they comprehend the love of God, the power of God, the wisdom of God. We talked about that a couple weeks back. That's how Paul prays for them. In chapter 1, Paul prays again for them. And he's praying that, that God would give them a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of their hearts enlightened, that they may know what is the hope to which He is called. Becoming a Christian is really having our eyes open to seeing who God is and what God has done. That's what becoming a Christian is. It's having our minds enlightened, having the darkness removed, having this futile futility in our minds being removed. And the Apostle Paul says once you walk in this darkness, and he says don't walk in that darkness any longer. He then goes on in verse 18. You were alienated from the life of God. That's why they were darkened. Remember a few weeks back, I talked about the roses I love to give my wife. But I always give her dead things. When I give her a rose, I'm giving her a dead thing because it's going to die. It's been cut off from, and it looks beautiful. It looks alive, but it's dead. In essence, he says, "Don't walk as if you were still as dead rose, as wilting, but walk in a different manner." And he tells us why they walked in such a way. In verse eighteen, is because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. It sounds harsh, but if you have cancer, do you want a doctor? to tell you exactly what's going on in your body? Or do you want a doctor that will lie to you? I want a doctor who tells me this is what's going on in your body and and this is what needs to be done in order for it to be healed. The Apostle Paul is saying very clearly and very graciously, and I think very lovingly, the reason they were dull in in their thinking is because of the ignorance that is in them. Now, in the Old Testament, and Paul, I think, is getting this whole idea of the out of, out of his context, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's in the acknowledging of who God is and understanding, a, a reverence of Him that wisdom begins. In chapter 1 of the book of Romans, starting in verse 18, Listen to these words of the Apostle Paul there. I'm sorry, in verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They knew God. They knew that there was a God. They knew God had to start this thing. But rather acknowledging Him, giving thanks to him they didn't and they became futile in their thinking when you hold a little baby newborn in your hands you, it, it, it ought to bring us to this place and like God you are amazing this child is beautiful but Lord you are incredible You put this creature together. We should be wowed, and that that should move us not only to acknowledging him, but then then stopping and pausing and going, thank you. But because of the stubbornness of our heart, the hardness of our heart, which literally means the stubbornness or the rebellion of our heart, we, we refuse to do that. And we look past God and we, we sometimes go look at what we've done or look what we've created or, or we fail to say thank you. And the Apostle Paul says the way you once lived was you, you, you didn't acknowledge God and you didn't give thanks to God. The same thing when we go to the mountains. Those mountains are absolutely magnificent. But it ought to stop and make us pause and go, God, you did this. Thank you. When we look at one another, created in the image of God, yet yeah, we are flawed, I get it, because of our sin. But we should pause and we should go, Lord, you created this person, and thank you for allowing them to be part of my life. The Apostle Paul is very simply saying, once you were futile in your thinking, you did not acknowledge God. You did not give thanks to God. And he says, and you walked in light of that. Stop doing it. That's who you were. And now in verse 20, he says, this is who you are. Present tense. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Do you see the oddness of that phrase? You might say, well, I learned about Seamus. But I, I don't think I'd ever say I learned Seamus. The Apostle Paul is literally saying that we, 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 the, that these people, and Paul, the Apostle Paul came to them, and, and when the Apostle Paul began to speak to them, Paul actually brought them a message about a person, Jesus. And said, "This is who Jesus is, and this is what Jesus has done." And chapters one through three really unpack all of that. He says, "That's not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him." Actually, in the in the text, the, the word about isn't there in the original, and so. The New American Standard just says you, and doesn't say um, you heard about him. Assuming that you have heard about him, but assuming that you've heard him, were taught by him, literally. ESV might have it right, I'm not sure, but the whole point is literally Christ is the one doing the teaching. He speaks to us, he calls us. Paul was the one who went but Christ taught them. Christ taught them through His Spirit about Himself. And then He goes on in verse 21, assuming that you've heard about Him, in verse 22, sorry, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. He says, when I came and spoke to you, when I came and taught you, when I came and opened your eyes to see this person named Jesus, I also wanted you to see that he is not only your creator, not only the one who has saved you, but literally the one who is your king and your Lord. In other words, there's a a way that you ought to live in light of knowing this Jesus. And so I taught you to put off, to take off those old clothes. Now we're going to start looking at some very clear examples of what he means by that. But he says, this is what you've already done. The language there, it could come across as, here's a command, take these clothes off, or it could come across, and I think more, re- more correctly, is coming across with the idea that you are to be putting off, you have put off, and you are to continue to take off. As you grow in your awareness of who this Jesus is, put off your old self belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires. Our old way of life, it, it, the, our desires promises us all kinds of stuff, right? But they're deceitful. But what God has promised us is you can go to the banquet. He carries on. Verse 23. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and and true righteousness and holiness. These are things Paul says have happened to us. Our minds, our inner beings have been renewed by this Jesus. And we have put on this new self and, and we have been recreated after the likeness of God. And yet he's telling us, continue to put these things on. So... This is who you were. This is who you are. And now Paul's going to get really practical. Therefore, this is what we ought to put on. This is we are to become who we are, starting in verse 25. And, and he starts giving us a list of stuff. He starts just rattling things off, and this, this ongoing rattling just carries on into chapter 5. And then he's going to get specific about relationships, husbands and wives, children and parents, bond servants and masters. So all the way down to chapter 9, he's going to getting very specific, and he's going to step on some of our toes. Okay? So remember, I'm just the messenger. Okay? Don't get mad at me. This is the Spirit of God at work, not me. I, I didn't write it. But Look at verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. As we go through this list this morning, I want you to notice that all of these things have to deal with our relationship. Okay? Now, last week he talked about cultivating or maintaining the unity. This week he's talking about cultivating holiness living like Christ and each of these things have to deal with our relationships but, but secondly I want you to notice he doesn't just simply say don't do this he also says do this so take this off but put this on get rid of this old person and put on this new person and, and the third thing he often does in each of these t- situations is he, he tells us why he gives us a reason so listen The first one. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So we're not to lie. Pretty simple one. One of the commands, right? We're not to lie to our neighbor. Our neighbor, according to Jesus, is anybody, right? So put away falsehood, but in in return, speak truth. When somebody comes to you and says, how are you? And you've had the worst, most horrible, terrible week of your life, and you say, I'm fine? Is that putting away falsehood? Is that speaking truth? No. When we don't speak truth to one another, what happens? Distress breaks in. Now, that's, that's a, a little piece, but that carries on in all kinds of talk. Are we honest with one another? Are we? If we're having a good day. Are we honest with each other? And why? Why are we to do this? Well, look at the end of verse 25. For we are members of one another. We belong together. We're we're the church. We're the body of Christ. And I need you. And you need me. And we don't want to drive a wedge between. Paul goes on, verse 26. I think the positive command here is be angry. You might be puzzled at that. In fact, it's really puzzling because in verse 31, he says, put away. And in that context, anger. So what's he doing here? Remember, remember Jesus looking at the Pharisees, it's in the Gospel of Mark, and, he, and, he, and he's, 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 he's about to heal this man with a withered hand. And the Pharisees are debating and arguing, and, and, and they're waiting, actually, to see if he will actually heal this guy because it's the Sabbath day. He's not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And Jesus looks at them and goes, Okay, well, am I supposed to, am, am, am I required to do good on the Sabbath? And he's actually bringing them back to the, the Old Testament law, which they know, and they refuse to answer. They are willfully disobedient. They are willfully stubborn. And and Jesus looks at them and he's grieved because of the text says their hardness of heart. It's very obvious what God is saying there, and they refuse to listen and refuse to obey, they refuse to speak. And the text says Jesus was angry. There is a righteous anger. When we see sin in the world and when we see sin in our relationships, it should cause us to be angry. Now don't stop there. I've got more to say here and Paul has more to say here. But we should never get used to sin. Period. Our problem is we don't stop there. We, we carry on and what's what's the negative command that Paul gives he says be angry and do not sin. So I, I heard the story of a gentleman once who, whose uh, wife left him and so he was angry. betrayed, broken promise, broken trust. okay that's that's fair. as the story goes he then went and slashed her tires not good sin the scripture says vengeance is mine saith the Lord when, when, when someone sins against us it's not our job and our responsibility to, to make that right we say Lord will you take care of this and I'm going to love this person and care for this person I don't care for the sin it's wrong be angry and do not sin. And our problem is rarely are we angry and don't sin. Be angry and do not sin, and then carries he carries on. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. This is such wise words, not just for married couples, by the way. Really wise for married couples, but it's really wise for the body of Christ. If someone's ticked us off, You need to deal with that anger. Don't let it sit there and stew and, and grow and, and turn into all kinds of other things, such as bitterness, as we'll get to. And finally, verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. There, there's something about when we're angry that that the devil takes has an opportunity to move in and go, okay, now I'm going to use it. And I'm going to draw this person in the way that he once lived. Be angry. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal. Now, if you break into my home and you steal something from my house, you're a thief, but we also, we also steal when we don't put an honest day's work in. We, we steal in so many different ways. Paul's is telling this church, and obviously there's probably some issues there, let the thief no longer steal again, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. So he says, instead of stealing, get to work. We have a younger generation that needs to learn to do this again. Get to work. And so Paul says, stop doing this, put on these new clothes, and go to work, and work hard, and work, put in an honest day, and... But there's a reason again, so that we, that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Why do I go to work? Why do I work hard? So I have enough for myself and my family, but so I can share with those who are in need. It's not so that I can get rich and, 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 and pile stuff on. It's so that I can be generous. You see, this is a completely different way of life in the way of the world Paul goes on verse 29 let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths the word corrupting there is sometimes translated evil it's the idea of rotten fruit that's the word they would have used for rotten fruit so the city has given us these green garbage bins I've noticed things grow in that green garbage bin that didn't grow before maybe it did it was more hidden paul saying don't let that kind of speech come out of your mouth but what should come out of our mouth only such as is good for building up take an inventory of what comes out of your tongue off your tongue The Apostle Paul is talking to Elra here. Not just you, he's talking to all of us. The the idea is if, if, if our speech is not building somebody up, encouraging one another, lifting each other up, then it's really probably not worth saying. Now sometimes encouraging and lifting each other up and building each other means saying hard things. What purpose behind it? And why are we to do this? That it may give grace to those who hear. That it may be a gift, it may be a a, a show of compassion and kindness to those who hear. How have you talked to your kids this week? How have you spoken to your siblings this week? How have you talked to those you work with this week? How have you talked to your spouse this week? Take an inventory. Stop and think and go, okay, was that lifting up? Was that encouraging? or, Or was that words that were just literally growing in my green container? Could you see how how the unity of the church would just actually flourish and grow if this is how we talk to one another? And after all, hasn't God been gracious to us? Can't we at least be gracious with our speech? You know, as I read this, these things things jump off the page of me. It's It's not always... The Apostle Paul isn't simply talking about foul language. He's talking about even the content of our language. kids were I got I got to be careful how I say things use illustrations but the kids were talking and they were talking about how when mom enters the room in the morning they they kind of brighten up and I said well that's not how you guys respond when I walk into the room in the morning Covers are over their head, Uh, uh. Uh, and one of my children says, "Well, that's usually because you're barking out orders already—not foul language, but maybe not building them up, not gentleness, not gracious, not all of those things." You see how all-encompassing this is, as this speaks to all of us. He's stepping on all of our toes. Apostle Paul then goes on, "Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God." In that in that text where where, where Jesus um, is angry at the, the the Pharisees, we're told that he he was grieved by them. Here, it tells us the Holy Spirit is grieved, meaning he's a person that he feels. And Paul says to this church in Ephesus, don't grieve the Spirit. And how do we grieve the Spirit? The one that sealed us for the day of redemption? Well, things like bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander. Let's just quickly walk through those. Bitterness is a sour spirit or sour speech. You've probably been around someone like that. It's not fun to be around. It's It's just sour something's been stewing in there and it just bugs them wrath and anger one is a passionate rage and the other is a, a settled hosti- hostility i've got a dear friend that every time i sit down with him i like there's just this deep anger that just just doesn't go away he's been hurt in life and he's just hanging on to it and it, it affects all of his relationships Paul says that grieves the spirit. Clamor is is a shouting and quarreling and probably speaking about the Seneca clan, especially when we're playing games. Slander, speaking evil of others and usually behind their back. What have you said about each other this week? My mom we said, uh, Elrey, if, if you got nothing good to say, don't say anything. So if I'm really quiet, just joking, we're going to put those things off. We're put them away. And what are we supposed to do instead? Be kind to one another. You guys started with a song where it talked about how God comprehends our heart and yet He loves us. God sees that we were sinners and yet He, he dies for us. He, we, he sees that we were rebellious enemies of His and yet He showed kindness to us. Paul says that's the clothing. That's how we learn Christ. Tender-hearted. I should walk in that room and wake them up with a tenderness. I should treat each of you with a tenderness. Well, sometimes we're, we, we treat each other like cattle rather than people. And, and I say that. I, I'm, I, I'm not being facetious. I think I, 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 I've watched us do that. And I'm not thinking of you, but I'm thinking of people in general. I think of the church in general. Forgiving one another. You hang out with me long enough, and I will hurt you. I'll say something that bothers you. I, I had to say, I had to apologize to one of my kids this week. It was something I said while we were playing a game. And that night I was thinking about it, I go, that was wrong. Forgiving one another. Well, well, now it's in their court, and they need to say, okay, well, am I going to hang on to this and get bitter and angry about it, or am I going to let it go? I'm going I'm to forgive. In the context of the body of Christ, this is how we ought to live. Community Grace, Calgary Community Reformed Church. This is how we are to live with one another, because this is who we are. And why As God in Christ forgave you? That's how we learn Christ. It almost sounded like I gave you a list of rules, but I want you to hear that I gave you a list of rules based on who you are and what Christ has done for you. Practical is all get-out. But as we grow in these things, as we continue to wear this fashion statement, the unity among us will only flourish and grow and as we gather around the table this morning we stop and we pause to remember that there was a time when when god entered this world he became a man he lived the perfect life and then he goes to the cross to die a death that we should have died so that we might have life forever and we pause and consider what he's done for us it ought to speak how we ought to live among one another and so if you're a follower of Christ if you know Jesus if if Jesus is your Lord and Savior I encourage you to come and join us at the table here what we do is we simply come down the middle of the aisle and we'll we'll break off into two groups and And groups of five or six together, and we'll stop and we'll pause and we'll just remember, this is not a magical ritual that we do. This is an act of remembrance, commanded by our Lord, and it's supposed to preach to us, proclaims the Lord's death till he comes, but it also causes us to stop and go, this is what Jesus has done for me. In light of this, how ought I live, with one another let's pray Lord I love you and I thank you that you first loved me loved us And Lord as we gather around your table would you graciously proclaim very loudly and clearly what you've done for us and Lord may we be changed may we walk out of this place resolved to wear those clothes that you have given us In your precious name we pray. Amen.